I'm going to start, I'm going to start in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 12. I'm going to start there. And then I'm going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 12 and go to, go both of them to the end of the chapter. Okay, Rakesh, you got that? The first one is 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 12, and then we're going to go uh, quickly from there to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, both to the end of the chapter. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. Thank you for your son. Thank you that he did, that you became a baby. Lord Jesus, you became a baby for us. And you sacrificed yourself all the way to the cross for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we thank you, Heavenly Father. And we do ask you to open our eyes up that we may see wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, let's look at this first. Second. Oh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting with verse 12. Let no man despise thy youth. Now he's saying that specifically to Timothy at the time because he's operating under apostolic anointing and he is a young man. This would apply to anyone in this room. Maybe on a different level or a different a purpose, maybe it's because you're getting up there in age. <laughs> Let no man despise your eldership, your old age. Or some of you may feel that way as a woman. May that no man despise that you're a woman. Or let no man despise that there's anything about you that may be something that society looks down upon. Maybe you're not quite smart enough up to snuff. Maybe you're not uh, pretty enough. Maybe you're not talented enough. But this would apply. Let no man despise you. But be thou an example of the believers in word in conversation. Conversation is a King James word which means behavior. In behavior, the way you act. In word, in conversation, in charity, that's agape. God's love. In spirit, pneuma. In faith, pistis. And in purity. Next verse. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. This is everybody in this room. Neglect not the gift that is in thee. This one is going to go on to say, which has been given to you by the laying on of hands. But there are many gifts that are in you that God has given you. Neglect not that gift or those gifts. Any one of them singularly or plurally. Do not neglect the gifts that God has given you. 
Do not, which is given to thee by prophecy, which with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. And we'll stop with this verse. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. Did you see that? Uh, I love the, the translation uh, of the, the Passion translation. It's T-P-T if you're looking up translations. If you have an app like I have that will give you about 40 of them. You say, well, gee, the last time you said 30, they're increasing. <laughs> There's about 40 of them. Unfortunately, about 10 of them I can't read because they're in another language. And they're not tongues, or I couldn't interpret them at least. But uh, they're in another language. But the Passion Translation, it's TPT. And I say that because it doesn't exactly say, like King James, it doesn't exactly say King James translation. It says KJT. So if you want looking for the passion translation, don't look for the word passion. Look for the TPT. But the TPT talks about devouring the Word of God. I love that. Devouring. You know how to devour? If you don't, you're not human. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. And I have my little... Uh, I, got, I got so much... I love this Apple... Uh, they always say it's not a computer, but it's a computer. Huh? An Apple pad that I have. And um, in this I have uh, several apps... And this one is, I got it turned to, I've told you what was in it before, but I want to share with you straight out of it so you'll know I'm not making this up. All right? And I know you don't believe that. My, my mom used to say when she'd put on her glasses, she says, I got to put on my eyes. So I got to put on my eyes there. All right, this word meditate, M-E- M-E-D-I-T-A-T-E, meditate. It's the Greek word malateo, malateo. And uh, if some of you heard that I said maliteo, I actually have on here where I can push a button and it tells you how to actually pronounce it. <laughs> you know, here, I'll show you. What's this? No, you you got to touch it right, that's all. I'm, uh, so much for that demonstration. Oh, this one I. Melatao. 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 Did you hear that? You actually heard that? Come on, pretty cool. All right. What does that Greek word mean? To meditate. It means to care for kind of reminds me of the next one. It says, attend to carefully. Reminds me of a verse of scripture that's in Proverbs 4, 4 11 and 12. Uh, my son, attend to my word. Attend to it. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart. 
for they are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. How do you keep your heart with all diligence? How do you keep your heart? Attend the verses before. Attend to my words. Incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thy mouth. So this says to care for, attend to carefully, practice. Mm-hmm. Then it goes on to another one to meditate, to devise, to contrive. And then down here it gives Strong's number and it'll give you these words that also substitute for it. And it says, uh, to care, to take care of, revolve in the mind. And I'm not mispronouncing this, it's revolve. Revolve, turn over in your mind, revolve. And then it says, imagine. All right? To imagine. So, now you've heard me say this before, it says, the, the, the Bible warns about vain imaginations. To imagine vain things. What's vain things? Well, for, for starters, you need to understand the, de- the definition of vain as opposed to humility. Vain means to be full of oneself. Vanity is to be full of oneself. Humility means to be emptied of oneself. Vain means to be emptied of God. Humility means to be full of God. See? Beautiful scripture. uh, John 3.30. Where John the Baptist says as Jesus coming before him. He says, he must increase. While I must decrease. See, that's... Now, he was talking about the law versus grace. There's a number of other things. But he was also talking about personally. He must increase. While I must decrease. And so this is uh, vain imaginations. But this is this word meditate is not vain imaginations. New life. Say new life. It's special, isn't it? Um, you know, I remember one time we had a Christmas program. And we had a scene with a baby, uh, Jesus in it. And uh, we had a recording of my daughter Kimberly as a baby because she wasn't much older than a baby at that, time, at that particular time. So we used the recording of her crying when the baby Jesus was born. And so here, here's the baby Jesus is born and a, uh, a recording of this crying and Kermit jumps up and starts running up and down the aisles looking for this baby that's crying ready to ask him to take him to the back or something. And we knew what he was looking for and we, we were just laughing. <laughs> remember that, Kerm? Yeah, you were, yeah, you remember that. Won't let him forget it. Meliteo. To imagine. But it's to imagine godly things. Here, it's to meditate. Neglect not the gift of God, but meditate on these things. Meditate. 
There are a couple of scriptures in the Old Testament that are very uh, important scriptures. The first psalm. The first psalm kind of sets the, uh, the atmosphere for the rest of the psalms. Did you know that? You know, it's kind of like when Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mountain. Great sermon. My favorite. Right? When I first got saved, I say first, when I first really radically got saved, um, I don't know why I always feel like I have to correct this. I got saved between the third and the fourth grade, and it was radically. It was, it was big. It was great. I knew exactly what happened to me. I got on fire for the Lord in Abilene, Texas, in Trinity Baptist Church. Brother Wilson, took, my sister took me to talk to the pastor in his office, and he gave me the plan of salvation. I understood it crystal clear, which I say that because I wasn't very smart. Literally, I was not a very smart youngster. And I, yet I understood it, and I received Christ. But I didn't stay with it. So by the time I got to be a teenager and late teenager and in the Navy, fell away from it. And then in 1971, it was revisited to me by the Lord, uh, big time. And I got saved. And uh, I started reading the Bible. Uh, here's an interesting fact for me, for you. That you may find it interesting. It's interesting to me. While I was in the Navy, the, a church from the town that I graduated in from high school sent me a Bible. It was a good news for a modern man. And I, it was just the New Testament. I started reading it. And I read, uh, you get to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get Matthew, and you get to the fifth chapter. It's the Sermon on the Mountain. So I started reading the Sermon on the Mountain. And I, st- I was so critical of it. I said, this is ridiculous. This is contradictory. This is blah, blah, blah. I just kept blasting it, blasting it, blasting it, blasting it, blasting it. And I was just, I, I was disgusted with it. So 19, now I come forward to 1971. I get, God comes into my life again. And I start reading the Sermon on the Mountain, you know, because it's Matthew. It's the first chapter in the New Testament. And I start reading, it's like, Wow, this is totally different than it was before. Radically different. It was like amazing. Something that I disdained, ridiculed, criticized, totally against, was suddenly my favorite thing in all the world. Wow. God can do some amazing things in your life if you just let him. Okay. So I fell in love with the Sermon on the Mountain. I read it every day, sometimes two, sometimes three times a day. Not intending to have any goal in mind. It's just that I loved it. And I read it. And I read it. And I read it. And I read it. And within about three months' time, I had the entire sermon memorized. Unintentionally, I did not intend to memorize it. But I actually found out by accident, because I started reading it, and I got to about the, the middle of the sixth chapter, and I realized I had no idea where I was, because I hadn't been reading it. I'd just been quoting it. 
And I love the Sermon on the Mountain. And the first verse that he says, he went up into a mountain and when he was, when he was set, that's why I sit. Okay. <laughs> now it says, I got that in the legs. When he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what blessed are the poor in spirit means? It means humble. It doesn't, it's not, poor in spirit does not mean poor in physical condition. Nothing, nothing wrong with being poor, you know, but like in, you know, like the guy, well, uh, we, get, we do this thing in, in our family where we give presents to one other person and uh, some people call it secret Santa and uh, we give them a monetary gift and we also give them a personal gift that we created and my son Connor had me this year Uh, and he and my other two and two of my other grandchildren uh, were uh, created something for me and they did this scenes from certain movies that I've liked over the years. And one of the movies that I like is Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> I love that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not, but I really highly recommend it. And uh, the guy that was uh, the star of the show, Reb, Net, Reb Tevi, is what his name is, Reb Tevi, um, is, uh, does what I'm going to be talking to you about in a minute. But uh, he does this scene where he's talking about, you may know, remember this, where he says, If I was a rich man, let a bitty, 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 dum. You know that song? La, da, 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 da. Well, there's a scene. Well, they do these scenes, which are so incredible. My three grandchildren that were like from these movies, and this is one of them, and he says, it's, uh, you know, it's no uh, crime to be poor, but it's no crime to be rich either, <laughs> you know. And he said that in that scene. It reminds me, it's, it's, you know, Jesus cared about the poor. Don't get me wrong. He cared about the poor. But poor in spirit is talking about being humble in spirit, being, realizing that you are bankrupt without God. You are bankrupt without God. That's what poor in spirit is. And the launching pad to the rest of the sermon begins with blessed are the poor in spirit. You don't get past that. You got a problem with the rest of it. And see, that's what happened to me when I was in the Navy and got the Bible. I did not, I was not poor in spirit. I, had, I lacked humility in a great way. And by the time God got through with me, I didn't have much of that left. Uh, I didn't have much pride left. Hello? Well, the scriptures in uh, the first psalm is kind of like the launching pad for the rest of them. And it says, Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. Amen? Oh, and he goes on, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. By the way, I read something one time that one of the godly, goodly, they call them goodly, but godly trees, all the trees are godly, but godly trees, and it was in the temple everywhere you looked, was the palm tree. And that was the palm tree that they were talking about that planted the roots deep into the, the ground. And uh, the reason I say that is because that was also the palm branches that they were waving when they were singing Hosanna, Hosanna to God. And we sing Hosanna, Hosanna, you know, while they go. By the way, the worship was beautiful today, by the way. I was just really, really, really moved by it. So anyway, the launching pad. Interestingly enough, when Joshua goes in to, or gets ready to go in to take the promised land, what's the launching, what's his launching pad? And he says this, uh, you shall meditate in the law, the word, day and night, and you shall make your way prosperous, then you shall have good success. Be strong and of good courage. And so this is the launching pad, the launching pad for the rest of Psalms. Blessed are they that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, uh, this is King James, and I'll explain that to you. Walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's pretty obvious, right? Walk is used for active words. A while ago we were saying, in word, in conversation, behavior, walking. It's it's live, live action. Walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly nor standeth in the way of the sinner. Right? Now, what does that mean when you say in the way? Jesus said, I am the way. One time I asked uh, somebody when, when uh, maybe some of you know this, answer this. When was when's the first time we were called Christians? Antioch. Who said Antioch? Okay, Pablo, Paul. Uh, who else? Who else thinks they know? Who, who believes it's Antioch? <laughs> you guys are scaredy cats. Scaredy cats. Okay. Somebody brought up, I asked the elders this one time, where, do, where is that found? And uh, they said, well, are you talking about where it was called? Originally, they were called what in the Christian? What were called Christians in the beginning? Children of the way. The way. Right. Okay. All right, Paul. Gotcha. Ha, 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 That's a good answer. That's what I would have said, too, if I was, I was in the congregation. That's not it, though. There's no place where it says they were called Christians uh, in the Bible. Am I right? All right, why am I right? Yeah, they were they were called the way, but that's not the answer. See, you don't know either. You don't know the answer. 
Oh, he's looking it up. Oh, Paul, he's going through his Bible like that. All right. Technicality, but I'm going to be technical here, okay? It didn't say that uh, the believers were called Christians at Antioch. It said the disciples were called Christians. Now, you can, you can take that to mean that it was all of us. I would hope that you're a disciple. Right? One of the definitions in the Old Testament, you know, Jesus, it says the Messiah was a disciple of the Father. Right? If he had to be a disciple, we certainly do. But it means learned. Learned. Learned, and you learn it by meditate on it. So Psalm 1 says, Standeth in the way of sinners. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So we standeth in the way, means like when you walk in the way, or stand in the way, you are not to stand in the way of the sinners. Nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Again, seat is like the seat of judgment. You know? It's like you're not, all three of them are basically saying the same thing, whether it's uh, walk, stand, or sit, seat. All of them are applying to uh, listening to them and walking their way, doing it their way, doing it, you know, when the scornful. God is, God wants a people that you're, self-definition that you define yourself by him and him alone hello do you understand what I mean by that you don't define yourself by walking in the way of the ungodly nor standing in the way of the sinners nor sitting in the seat of the scornful you define yourself by how God sees you by the love of God. See, you know, one of the, Tim Keller has a lot of little one thing sayings that I, and I, I wish I'd just get a whole book of his one thing sayings and just memorize that whole thing. But he's a good, good preacher, good teacher. And he, he, he says this, when we see ourselves uh, before God, when we see God, and we see ourselves We see ourselves as Isaiah did when he was caught up into the heavenlies and he was standing before a God that was holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He fell on his face and he says, behold, I am a man of unclean lips. Why did he say unclean lips? Is you think because he had a potty mouth? No, that wasn't it. Oddly enough, The thing that Isaiah had, which was his greatest of all attributes, his greatest of all talents, his greatest of all abilities, was his mouth. He was, even when you wrote things down, it was words out of your mouth put on paper. You follow me? Okay. And he says the words, he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. The best I've got. He, he was not only considered, some people believe and teach, and I'm inclined to agree with him, human form. He was the greatest writer of all times. 
including Shakespeare, compared to Shakespeare. And I, I, I've read that and I agree with it from what I've read of Isaiah. And so when you talk about, he was not only the greatest writer, he was considered at that time period the greatest orator, to put it into words. And he says, the best I've got, the best I've got is unclean in the presence of a holy God. So you see that. And so what happens with God? God doesn't say, oh, no, no, don't call what I've created unclean. He doesn't say that. You know, like he did when, when Peter was offering up the sacrifices on the rooftop. And he says, uh, eat. He says, no, it's unclean. He says, don't, don't call what I've called clean unclean. You know, God didn't say that to, to Isaiah. What did he say to Isaiah? Nothing. But an angel went over to these, this, uh, these censer full of hot coals. They were so hot that even the angel couldn't touch them. Got a tong out. You know, those tongs. Probably big handles on them. Walks over to Isaiah, drops it on his mouth. Burns his mouth. Right? But God cleansed, purged him with fire. And what was unclean before became clean. But he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And God drops his hot coal of fire. And he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, here am I, send me. He would have never said that before the hot coal. Because he couldn't go, he couldn't go for God. Okay, so the best he had to offer God in the presence of a holy God is unclean. But once it has been purged by God. I, uh, Tim Keller saying is, when you uh, see yourself in the presence of a holy God, you would be humbled into the dirt, into the dust. But when you see God's love, you get lifted into the heavenlies. See? So I'm defined by what I was being cleansed. What I am being holy by God, by the love of God. Amen? Amen. So it says, Blessed is a man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scorn, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall plead like a tree planted by the rivers of water. Okay, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. To save time, I'm going to skip the first 11 verses. Matter of fact, I wouldn't mind reading the whole thing. But we're just going to save some time here. Verse 12 is the beginning of, uh, or not the beginning, but in the middle of the subject matter of law versus grace. And Paul is saying basically that the ministration of the law was glorious. 
It was so glorious. But he's going on to say, but if the ministration of uh, the law was glorious, how much more is the ministration of grace glorious? And then he's going to explain some things about why. And then he says this, seeing then that we have such hope. What, what's the hope he's talking about? The ministration of grace being more glorious than the law. We use such great plainness of speech. I like that. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face. Uh, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. And so he's talking about that which was glorious in the Old Testament. If you know the story, Moses comes down out of the, out of the mountain after talking with God and writing the Ten Commandments down, and he's glowing. And you remember how he got glow, glowing? He said he wanted to see God face to face. And God says, you cannot see me face to face. If you looked at me face to face, you'll die because you can't handle it. It's kind of like in, uh, you know, the story about the Marines. You can't handle the truth. Uh, Jack Nicholson says that, you know, but, you know, a few good men. He says that to Tom Cruise. You can't handle the truth. He says, uh, well, in this particular case, he couldn't. (laughs) Couldn't handle the truth. And he says, but he comes down out of the mountain and he says he was shining with the glory of God. He said, well, first of all, Moses says, you couldn't handle. He says, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Gee, I wonder what that's a metaphor for. Hello. Is it, you know, you don't even have to think about these things. You read these things and you know them instantly. What is the cleft of the rock? Jesus. <laughs> And if you don't know that, stay with it, you will. Okay, it'll come to you. It'll come to you. So he gets put in the cleft of the rock and he passes by and he lets him see his backside. And he glows so much when he comes down out of the mountain, the people couldn't stand to look at him. Because he was glowing with the glory of God. The glory of God is the beauty of his holiness. And so he's shining forth. And he has to put a bag over his face, like the unknown comic. Remember him? The unknown, he puts a bag over his face so that they could stand to look at him. Right? And that's what this is talking about. That the children of Israel, I don't need this for this. The children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. Meaning the law or the, 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 the ministration of the law. Next verse. But their minds were blinded. They couldn't stand to look at it. For until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away that is reading of the Old Testament. Did you understand that? I want to tell you something right now. If you've ever read the Old Testament, there was a, ba- there was a veil over your face and you could not see the glory of God. It was impossible. And until this day, it is impossible. Hello? You cannot see the glory of God in the Old Testament to this day. Almost. But it says, But their minds were binding, for until this day remains the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. 
which veil is done away in Christ. So many meanings to that. Which veil was done away in Christ? We know that when Christ was crucified on the day of his resurrection, bam, on the day or the time he was in crucified, bam, an earthquake and a happened, a lightning bolt happened, hit that veil that was in the holy of that separated the holy of holies to the inner court, and then or the and then split it in two. And I, I was re- remember reading in my Unger's Bible dictionary. Can you imagine? What it was like for the high priest to do the uh, first fruits. <laughs> the first fruits was in front of, front of the veil. And it being split down the middle in there. <laughs> right after the res- crucifixion. Well, it was right after the resurrection of Christ. Split that veil. Meta- that too was a metaphor. The veil was done away in Christ. So it says this. Next verse. But even to this day, say this day, some of you have a veil over your face. Some of you cannot see the glory of God by reading the Old Testament. Wow. But it says, but even unto this day, when Moses is read, that means the Old Testament, the veil it was up on their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, or when you shall turn to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, uh, what does that mean? Well, for starters, here's, here's the starters. When Jesus Christ came, the, the religious order did not recognize him as the Messiah, partially Mainly because this veil was over their face. They could not see the glory of God. But the Bible says in Romans, uh, in, in, in John, the first chapter, it says, the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, even as the glory of the father. You know, at one time when I, like I told you, when I, 1971, I get radically brought back into the fold of God, into the sheepfold of God. And I was madly crazy in love with the, uh, with the Sermon on the Mountain. You know, I started praying for something. I started praying and I said, God, uh, you can do anything. You can give me anything that I pray for. And uh, I want to uh, pray, for, pray for something. I got something queued up that I'm getting while I'm telling you this. And you, what do you think I wanted from God? What I wanted, you'd never guess unless I told you, and then you're cheating by trying to tell me. What I wanted, first thing I prayed for that was kind of impossible. I wanted God to take me back to the time that Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mountain. And I wanted to be able to understand every word that he said, just as if he was speaking my language or I understood his. I didn't care which God did. And that I could sit at Jesus' feet 
like the disciples did and listen to him preach the Sermon on the Mountain myself. And I prayed that for a long time. And I prayed it. And I finally got to the point where I realized that God can answer, is going to answer that prayer. Now I read, I think I shared this maybe last Sunday. But uh, beautiful song, I love this song. I can tell you how much I love it. But I want to read it to you. This is written, this is a song by Mercy Me. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when you face, I'm sure this is a misprinting, it means your face. It says you face. It says when your face is before me. So you agree that it's your? Okay, when your face is before me, I can only imagine. Surrounded by your glory, what will my heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus? Or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence? Or to my knees will I fall? Will I sing hallelujah? Will I be able to speak at all? I can only imagine. I can only imagine when that day comes, when I find myself standing in the sun, S-O-N, not S-U-N. I can only imagine when all I would do, excuse me, when all I would do is forever, forever worship you. Surrounded by your glory, what will I heart feel? Will I dance for you, Jesus, or in awe of you be still? Will I stand in your presence, or on my knees will I fall? And it goes on. And uh, here's the problem that I think this young man, this is a very small problem, okay? Almost insignificant, except that it fits in with what I want to preach, what I'm preaching. The mistake that he is making. That's a great, great song. Love every word of it. Wouldn't mind singing it in church. Worship him. Worship him. Good song, okay? The mistake that he is making is the same mistake that I made when I would pray, Lord, take me to your feet to hear your sermon. Straight from your lips. I want to be there. What's the problem with that? Because see, I don't have to go out there. He doesn't have to wait. We can, see, I've been at his feet and heard him preach straight from his lips already. Because I can imagine that now. When I read the word. See, I can be taken away in the spirit and listen to him. Because see, I can see him face to face now. Because the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. See. Amen. Do you see what I'm talking about? We can imagine. You can imagine being in his presence today 
<laughs> I'm not sure I should even share this, but I'm going to. If it blesses you, if you don't get it, I didn't get it either. And I haven't got it all the way, but I got some. And maybe I'm getting something that ain't even there. I don't know. But I got a friend who mentored me back in the days that I've been talking about. Very special man of God. Deep, deep relationship with God. Beautiful relationship with God. I talk with him regularly on the phone now. Uh, And I just, uh, I've been reconnected to him. His name is Phil Borden. He lives in Amarillo, Texas. Beautiful, beautiful brother in the Lord. Walks with the Lord. Knows the word as well as anybody I've ever known in my whole life. And it's, 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 just, it's just amazing how to talk with him. And he shared something with me. He shared a lot. I got the whole thing about choreograph from that word given, you know, in the Greek. I got that from him. But he shared something with me that has been on my mind a lot. And he says, listen, he says, I, I, uh, I have a whole bunch of National Geographic magazines. And he says, and, and I read National Geographic. I'm, he, and he says, I'm very careful about what I read with National Geographic. Because uh, although they have wonderful, wonderful issues and stuff, uh, uh, monthly issues, not issues, they have issues as well. But one of the problems they have is they, don't, they believe that uh, evolution is a fact. You know? <laughs> I got news for them. It's not only not a fact, it's not even true <laughs> at all. But that's just yet. I mean, there's just one, you know, there, there, there's a guy who's got this. It takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. <laughs> or it takes more faith to be, believe in evolution than it is to believe in creation. <laughs> so anyways, he says, but there's this one thing he read and we've been talking about it so much since he told me this which was about four months ago since he told me this we've been talking about it so much that he's been trying to find it in his old old magazines but he shared this something about about what they said and I'm going to tell you and uh, whether you get it or not or whether it means anything to you and I'll just leave that up to the Lord but it sure has been on my head, in my head, a lot. And he said, and this is what they're saying. This hasn't got anything to do with the Bible or, you know, anything in the Bible. Unless it does. Okay. He said that the human mind is only capable of saying on the same focus, thought, for 17 seconds at the most. You know. How many of you ever read that or something? You have read that. Okay. Now, uh, he's, he's trying to explain it. I, was, I sounded very particularly interested in it. And he's trying to explain it to me. It's, it's very simple. It's, this is the way I understand it. Is that... You, your, your mental capacity is only able to stay focused on one thought for 17 seconds. 
And then it has to be regenerated to continue. All right. And the way that it continues is by t- taking that anything that happened 17 sec- seconds ago is in your past. Anything that we're discussing at this very moment is in your presence. Anything that's after 17 seconds from here is in the future. The only thing that's in the presence right now is the 17 seconds. Now you can start over at two seconds and start over at three seconds and start over. But the, 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 the longest you can go on any one particular thought, focus on one thought, is the longest you can go is 17 seconds. Which means anything before 17 seconds was the past, anything after 17 seconds is the future. The only thing that is the actual presence is within that 17 second range. And even that is difficult because that's the maximum you can go. But you can, you know, you can start, but there's a regeneration after that. There's a new beginning. One of the reasons I wanted to share this is because we got New Year's coming up and everybody thinks about a New Year's resolution and all this. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I got a New Year's resolution. You know, I was going over all the things I thought. I talk about all the things that are new in the Bible, like if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. How much of a new creation are you? The outward man perishes, but the new man is renewed day by day. Yeah. So there's a God's blank is renewed every morning. His mercies are renewed every morning. I mean, they just go all What he's saying is, the longest anybody can go is 17 seconds, and then they have a regeneration. They got, it's a restart. But you're going by the past, things about the past. Now, is the past important to us? Yes, in the sense that Jesus Christ to us is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? But you see, and this is one of the reasons I love the worship so much this morning, because I wanted to talk to you about who God is. God is I am. God lives in the ever-presence. He doesn't live in 17 seconds. We do. We live in 17 seconds. You say, well, how, if that's only 17 seconds, how can we, because we go by the past. We learn from the past. We learn from the memories. We generate memories. You see, and that's how we learn. And we can start over, but when we start over, that which starts over, anything in, in it is the past which are memories. And so we use memories. So if you wanted to live in the ever-presence of God, it would have to be a living thing, which is, it, 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 it isn't just eating and breathing and walking on the face of the earth. It is something that involves the mind. Okay, now here's the deal, okay? Watchman Nee. If, you've, if you're a Christian and you've been in this walk for a long time, I would assume by now you would have read something by Watchman Nee. Watchman Nee has a slew of books. He only wrote one book. All the books, one of my favorites, Normal Christian Life, was written by his disciples from his teachings. 
So technically, it's like Jesus, you know. Jesus didn't actually write anything, but they all wrote things down for him. Okay, well, they did this. The His disciples, but he, he did write one book. It was called The Spiritual Man. And The Spiritual Man basically says this. And here's, a, uh, again, this is a little deep for even my little mind. I have the mind of Christ, though. Okay, and here's, here it is. Adam and Eve. God created Adam out of the dust of the earth. Dust is a word which means red, also means blood, which he was created out of the blood of the earth. But then, then God breathed into his, to him, and you know what, uh, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Old Testament as well, what is called God's breath? What is it called in the New Testament? Pneuma. What is it called? Hmm? Breath. It's called breath. Air. Breath. In the New Testament, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, pneuma. Pneuma. Which means air. Pneumatic. You know, pneumonia. Breath. He breathed into his spirit, into Adam. What, for what purpose? The purpose is shown by what happens when he breathes into Adam, uh, his breath. What happens in Adam? He became a living soul. Became a living soul. He was made of the earth, but then God breathed in him the breath of air, and he made him of his uh, uh, his own a living soul. So why was Adam created to contain the body? Was to contain the spirit of God, the breath of God. This is what Watchman Nee is writing about. The breath of God comes into him, and so what happens is he becomes a living soul. What is the soul? The soul is the mind, your will, your intellect. All right. Your emotions, all of this come out of the soul. What in the New Testament is the word soul? Suke, which we get, we get our word psychic from, psychic, psychiatric, you know, suke, the mind, the will, the, uh, the emotions, all right, the intellect. So what did God purpose in the beginning? God purpose is Breathe in him his breath, the Spirit of God comes into his body, and then he becomes a living soul. So what is the purpose of the soul? The purpose of the soul is so that the Spirit controls the body through the soul. You see, understand what I mean? So the spiritual man was supposed to be Led by the Spirit through the soul, through his mind, his will, and his intellect, and his emotions, to go out and subdue the earth. Amen? So what happens, though? The devil comes along and says, did God say? God's a liar. He knows that when you do, you'll be like him. Okay, so man eats the thing. Now, what happens at that point? Through the process of sin, man suddenly rejects the spirit and embraces the soul. 
and man becomes fleshly. One of the definitions, one of the uh, words in the New Testament for suke is sensual. You see, suddenly man become sense knowledge. In other words, sense knowledge was originally given to him so that he could use the sense knowledge or the spirit could use the sense knowledge to, to go out and subdue the earth. But instead, the sense knowledge takes, takes over and then man was separated from the spirit and suddenly becomes a soulish man. That's what sin did. That's what Jesus saved us from. Right? And so what happens is, man could no longer see God. But through Jesus, now the Lord is that spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is unity, no liberty. Next verse. But we all, say we all. Yeah. Made southerners out of you, huh? You know, talk about those Yankees now. We can talk about all that. You're a southerner now. We all, with an open face, or what's another way of saying open face? Unveiled face. The veil is taken away. When is the veil taken away? When you, when you turn to the Lord. You look at the Lord. Before the Lord, the Old Testament disguised the glory of God because you couldn't look at him. You couldn't see him. But it says, but we all with an open face, beholding as in a glass, this says glass. It's the word, one of the words for mirror. Mirror, as a matter of fact, if I took the time to look this one up and showed you what it said on the thing, it says mirror and it says reflection. Well, you look in a mirror, you see your reflection. You know, there's another place that talks about a mirror in the Bible. James talked about it. He says, he be doers of the word, not hearers only. But he that is a hearer only and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his face in a mirror. And he goes his way and he straightway forgets what manner of man he looked like. That's what I do. I skip the mirror from now on. <laughs> you know, I don't even want to remember what I look like. <laughs> You know, I'm happy with who I, who I am in Christ. It says, we with an open face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. So you see, we can see the glory of the Lord. But the only way that you can see the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament is you've got to turn to the Lord. You've got to look at the Old Testament through Christ. Christ was a revelation of the glory of God. The true revelation. It's in the Old Testament, but it's concealed. But it's revealed in the Old Testament. You know what reveal means? You know what revelation means? The word, the book revelation means unveiling. The veil is taken away. And it says, we with an open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and are changed into the same. There it is. What is it? Image. Do you know what the word image or, or what word comes from Image. Imagine. Imagine. So we, this is why I can read the, the, the Sermon on the Mountain there and I'm at the feet of Jesus. How did I do it? I do it because I can imagine it. You see, this isn't vain imaginations. This is imagining the Word of God. This is meditating on the Word of God. He says, but we with an open face beholding as in the glory are changed into the same image. This is how you grow in the Lord. 
Because see, God watches. What is it? What did the psalmist say? They get a glimpse. They had a glimpse of uh, the glory of the Lord in the Old Testament. And, 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 and it's concealed. The whole revelation of who Jesus Christ is, is is concealed in the Old Testament. But it's there. And so what does Psalm 27 does? One thing I ask for. That shall I seek. To dwell in the house of the Lord. And behold the beauty of the Lord. And to inquire in his temple. You know, we used to sing that a lot. I love that song. One thing I ask for. That shall I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And then here's a clue right there. While ago, what were they not able, what was Moses not able to do? Look at what? The face, the face of God. What does Psalm 27 says? The Lord said to me, Seek ye my face, your face, Lord, shall I see. I've seen the face of God. I imagined it. See, you see what I'm saying? I imagined it. (laughs) That's just as real. That's even more real than reality. This is reality. This is true reality. Right? We're changed into the same image when you see Christ. You see, if I see something in the Old Testament that sounds like it's a contradiction of the life of Christ, that's not God. That's not, that may have happened. God may have done it, but we can't see the whole picture. You can't see the whole picture. You can't see that God is love. Everything he does is because he's love. God loves us. Jesus came to reveal the Father. Boy, I, 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 love some, I love these old movies that Hollywood made about Jesus. And I'm like, how could they capture the Lord so much when God's people miss it so much? I couldn't believe it. Some of the things that, 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 that just figuratively speaking, I believe it. <laughs> You know, I, I love it where, where Jesus is meeting Matthew in, in, in uh, the greatest story, ever, uh, uh, greatest story ever told. And he says, uh, he goes up to Matthew and Matthew says, he's a tax killer. He says, you got anything to declare? And, and Jesus says, only my father. And he says, well, where is he? Are you hiding him from me? He says, I'm not hiding him from you, Matthew. He's in my heart. And he says, well, does he have anything to declare? He says, only his love for you. Because if you've seen the Father, if you've seen the Son, you've seen the Father. I'm thinking about three and a half years later, he's getting ready to go to the cross. And he says, he's talking about, uh, in in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I will, blah, 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 show you the way. And Philip says, well, show us the way have I been with you so long I am the way I am the truth and the life no man cometh to the father but by me I am the way Jesus is the way he is the way to the father there's no other way to the father he's it amen and when we see him when we look in the face what do you see what do you see when you look in a mirror Well, if you see your old self, that's your old self. 
That's, that's all right. Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Or you see your new self, your new creation. You see the new person. You see the face of Jesus Christ. You see what the Lord, the Lord was like. And when you have your eyes open to see him, you'll be changed from glory to glory to glory. From 17 seconds to 17 seconds. It's like you can walk in the present. God is, God is, God doesn't have 17 seconds. He's all time presence. He's all time presence. But we can live as if we are in a constant 17 seconds. Hello? Do you understand that? Practicing the presence of God. We practice the presence of God because we can see the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Did you know that we can see Jesus more clearly than... And I was talking about being in front of the disciples uh, or, or being there with the disciples listening to His words and sitting up there, you know, sitting there and just listening to every word that came out of His mouth. And I was so excited about the thought of doing that. And then I read something and I said, I can do it more than they did. I can enjoy it more than they did. I can get far more blessed than they because you know what? Blessed is he that has seen and believed, but even more blessed is he that has not seen and believes. So I'm more blessed than they are. Peter is telling me that when he says that. He says, I'm more blessed than he is. The things which we have seen, the things which we have handled, the things which we have touched with our hands, we can declare it unto you, but you are even more blessed. Wow. I can be there. I am there. I go into the presence of God. Just, I just believe it. Do you know the Bible says, you talk about, what is it, do you think it's uh, interesting that he said, walketh not in the counsel of the God, who sitteth not in the seat of the seat, or standeth not in the way of the sinner, or sitteth not in the seat of the scornful. You know what another little booklet that Watchman Nee read was called Sit, Walk, Stand, and it isn't based upon Psalm 1, it's based upon Ephesians. Because it says we're seated with him in heavenly places. We walk before him in the land of the living and we stand against the wiles of the devil. So sit, walk, stand. It covers the whole thing. It covers your down sittings, your uprising, your lying down. No matter where you are, no matter at any time of the day, God is there. And God wants a people that just walks. You know, Catherine Coleman once went, why does God do these mighty wonderful things in your ministry to Catherine Coleman. And she says, because there is not a second of the day of my waking day that goes by that I am not conscious of the presence of God. I stay in conscious of his presence. I, we, my, I was blessed to go to a Watchman Nee uh, meeting. I was really blessed. Uh, not a Watchman Nee, I'm sorry. A, a Catherine Coleman meeting. Anaheim Convention Center, like 8,000 people. And then they turn away 8,000 people at the door. And I got to, I was just like, wow, it's so electrifying. You know, Oral Roberts, you may have heard of him. He used to sit up there and lay hands on people and they get healed. But he said Catherine Kuhlman had something going for her that was several layers higher than what he understood about the Lord. She was really with it. And she says, the reason this God is working is in my life is because I'm conscious of his presence. I'm conscious of him every second of the day. There's never a day. There's never a minute. It's regeneration. 
Every second. Every second. Hallelujah. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Can we do that? You bet your booty I can... Said that. Yes, I can. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. We can be conscious of God every second. We can see the face of God. It says I'm seated with him in heavenly places. It says that. Do you believe it? Do you believe you are? Well, there you are then. I'm seated with him in heavenly places. It's true. It's so. I'm blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. I'm chosen in him. I'm adopted in him. I'm accepted in him. Man, you can't beat this. Hallelujah. Taken out. No, the, the, the God mercy me. I don't know if I can stand before you or, or, or am I going to kneel before you or I'm going to dance before you or am I going to sing before you or I'm going to be quiet or whatever. I do them all. <laughs> I go and dance before the Lord. I go and sing to the Lord. I, but I start off on bended knee, you know. Why? What's the launching pad? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Humble, he must increase. Well, on bended, you know, it says in Philippians 2, if you haven't done this, we need to do it. Philippians 2, it says that, no, excuse me, I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans, well, I'm going to go to Philippians 2, forget it. Philippians 2, where it talked about seven steps down. Remember that? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It goes on and goes on and says, it says, wherefore God has highly exalted him, gave him a name to, uh, above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Glory of God the Father. You know what? Now, Every knee that has ever been created, every human being that has ever been created is going to bow the knee to the coming king. Every one of them. Now it's up to you. Are you going to wait till then? Or are you going to do it now and then? I'd rather do it now. So on bending knee, I love that song. On bending knee, I come. With a humble heart, I come. Bowing down before your holy throne. Lifting holy hands to you. You know, I bow my knee into the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You're King of Kings. Everything that I may have apart from you is as filthy rags. Everything that I have that is apart from you, is unclean. But I've been purged by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've been washed in the blood. I've been bought with the price. Father, you know, it's like everybody's going to stand before God. Everybody. And he's going to say, why should I let you into my heaven? And if you don't say, because of that right guy, <laughs> that guy seated at your right hand there, that's the only reason I'm getting in there then you're in trouble. Hello? So, 
I've been bought with a price. I am owned by God. God doesn't owe me anything, but I am owned by God. I've been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Not by the blood of goats and calves and by other bloods of other animals. I'm bought with the blood of Jesus. I am his property. I belong to Jesus. I belong to God. You are my God. You are my Lord. I confess you to be my Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess. I confess you are my Lord. Now. Now. Now faith is. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now. In this 17 second space here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, loving us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, God. Oh, Lord. Thank you. Well, thank you. Happy New Year, everyone. May the blessing of our Lord Jesus Christ and the Father of glory may pour His presence down upon your life as you behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory to glory.